Colossians 1. I'll read it for you. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Referring to Jesus. This is one of the most profound statements about Christmas. It's easy to have a head fake at Christmas time, by the way. Because you already feel like there's warm and fuzzies going on at Christmas time. There's family that has come in. In some cases, that actually is a warm and fuzzy. There's traditions that kind of hearken you back to wonderful moments in your life. There's songs that kind of stir your soul as well as excite you. They make you tap your feet as well as cry as you hear the chorus of fall on your knees. All of this kind of works together. And you can think because the world gets behind Christmas with all of its energy and all of its aplomb and brings it to you in such a way that it feels really good. But the part that we've got to recognize is why is Christmas so important. We know how Christmas goes down and and we know about the star and the birth and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. We've got that down. I don't think you need to hear that yet again. Uh, VeggieTales is on Netflix now. It's all explained in vivid detail with moving pictures. It's really amazing. But I think what matters to us is what's going to cause us to pause in our tracks even as we're going after all of the plates that are spinning in your home right now. Yes, it's burning. Don't worry about it. Right now, the thing that's going to cause all of this to make sense is to understand why Christmas. And and that's what we're going to look at tonight, especially as we understand why. Why did God have nothing but pleasure at the thought that all fullness of God would dwell in Christ and all that he would then do for us. And so moving on to this, it says, for God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, that's a big part of the why, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so my, my sermon today begins with this point. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, it's not always best to quote an archaic verse from a, a song that, that uh, yes, kind of in its soaring melody reaches your soul. But, but I don't think you, you often use this phrase in your everyday life. But yet, I don't want even some of these most majestic of all Christmas songs to go by the wayside even for us. That we really do kind of break open the bones of the holiday and suck the marrow of all the sweetness that is really majestic in Christmas. And my first point, long lay the world in sin and error pining. You know, the Christmas story that we know so well does not begin with an angelic pronouncement or even a manger scene with cute and cuddly lamb and a cow, perhaps, that's there. 
It doesn't even begin with wise men bearing wonderful gifts. You know how the Christmas story begins? Here's how. The Christmas story begins with my lies, with my lust, with my pride. It begins with my gossip. It begins with my harshness with my kids. It begins with my anger at traffic, at indifferent clerks. It begins with my years, years of sexual immorality. It begins with my naked, selfish ambition that guided me through so much of my life. And not to mention, it begins with my greed and it begins with my materialism. That's the beginning of the Christmas story for me. And by the way, it's the beginning of the Christmas story for you too. But that's why it's so incredible. Is that the Christmas story begins with the world in sin and error pining. Pining? Why pining? Pine tree? Is that why? Is it Christmas time? No, pining just means that there is a, a longing. Knowing that your soul is unsatisfied. And as much as you want to sin and as much as you want to embrace error, deep down you know that that is not the fulfillment that God had ever designed for you or for me. And so we pine, we pine knowing that there must be something more to all of this, especially as I am so often in a cycle thinking, yes, I've been delivered from sin in this avenue or that area. Perhaps maybe it's in your household right now where there's a cold war that's going on and it's Christmas time. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, is there any hope for us that even at this time of year that there is this kind of malaise of, of low voltage anger that, that is like a, a net that has landed over our household. Like what, what is the way out of that? Well, you would think by the head fake of Christmas that if you just think happy thoughts, at this time of year, anything is possible. If we just kind of all come together in the Christmas spirit, that collective niceness and that hallmarkiness is going to see us all delivered into the place where we we're always meant to be. Could not be more off the real Christmas story. But yet, of course, it is what we're fed and we've got to kind of stay kind of aware of all of that. Now, now, interestingly, the passage here doesn't say much different from long lay the world in sin and error pining. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Very interesting idea there, right? The idea of being alienated is a really interesting word because it means that not only are you not connected to the greatness that you ought to be connected to, it means instead that you've been connected to something else. You've chosen something else as your sovereign, as the great passion and the purpose of your life. And as such, you are alienated then from God himself. And not only that, but as we are now attached, and of course we don't ever say it, you know what? My God is not Jesus. My God is my job. My God is my kids. And if my kids do well, well then, my goodness, then I have affirmation and I feel good. And if my kids could just get into that school, then I will finally feel as though I arrived. If I could finally become chief, then, my goodness, will I know that finally, 
Finally, I've made it. Any of those thoughts make you alienated from God. Because there's a deliverance somewhere else. And it also then makes us enemies in our mind. Not overtly, but it happens subtly. The way that we process thoughts, the way that we churn through and the gears are turning, those gears aren't turning with what pleases Jesus, what pleases Jesus. My goodness, all that Christ has done for me. How can I express my gratitude to Jesus? Show me the way, wouldn't that be amazing? No, Jesus is often just sprinkled in at the end. And if he can somehow be used to validate stuff that we already want to do because we're alienated, we're linked to something else, well, then we're happy that if Jesus jumps on board and we can kind of bless it with a, with a little bit of Jesus at the end. But that's most of America. That's me growing up. That's, that's 29 years of my life. That's me going to church. That, that, that is my life. And, and for us to think that we can happy holidays our way out of that is a, a dreadful, dreadful error. Because what that means is then that we can save ourselves. And if, if that's the case, if we think that we can happy our way out of any of this, the really frightening part about that is, is that if we do in some degree or another, then we become disdainfully proud of other people that can't. And then when we have bad days, we become overwhelmingly distraught that we'll never get out of this. And oftentimes that pendulum vacillates between I'm all that, there's no hope for me. I'm all that, there's no hope for me. And the only chance for us to be able to stop that pendulum and put it right with God is my second point. Long lay the world in sinner and error pining till He appeared. That's what we're here for. Because He did appear. And praise God that God doesn't want a relationship with us where He's just a concept to be believed or even just an authority to bow to. He wants something so much more amazing than that. And in order for that to happen, the story takes an interesting twist. And as a matter of fact, here's a, an interesting illustration that really, I, I think, was born out of uh, 1960, 1961. During that time, we were in a space race with the Russians. And at first, we were losing, uh, with, with, with all apologies to, to John Glenn. He did his part. Amen. But Yuri Grigorov got ahead of us. And Yuri Grigorov was actually the first man in space and the first man to orbit the Earth. And when, when he came back and uh, had his little kind of powwow with Nikita Khrushchev, who was the premier of the Soviet Union at that time, Yuri Grigorov came back and said, I have been to the heavens and I did not see God there. Khrushchev, of course, crowed with delight and was able to kind of thumb his nose at those Western Christians as he was a Soviet uh, um, atheist, as, as that was their ideology. And, and as he did so, someone took up a pen to write a rather amazing article in 1961. And that man was C.S. Lewis. And then he wrote in the newspaper that year that there is folly and real misunderstanding of the relationship with God if you think that you in his creation, as magnificent as it is, can go to another corner of his creation and find him hanging out there. And he wrote, and he said, Gregorin flew into space, but didn't see any God there. If there is a God, C.S. Lewis wrote, who created the world and created us, I could no more meet him than, and this is the really cool illustration he used, any more then Hamlet could meet Shakespeare. 
If Hamlet wants to prove there is a Shakespeare, he's not going to be able to do it in a lab, nor is he able to find Shakespeare by going up into the top of the stage. The only way he will know something about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. Sometimes I think about that as I watch really cool movies or read really cool books, right? Especially like superhero books. Like I really think, like, wouldn't it be sweet if somehow kind of Batman got got you know a, a storyline that involved Jesus, and to see Jesus kind of enter into Gotham City, and to see what kind of deliverance Jesus could wrought versus even Bruce Wayne and all of his resources. Of course, it's never happened, and and so I despair of that idea in in popular fiction. However, here's the cool part. For us, it did happen. God wrote himself into your story. But guess how your story began? Just as mine began. Maybe it's different sins. Maybe it's different darkness. Maybe it's different frustrations that have gripped your life and maybe even still grip your life now. But here's the beauty of it. Whether it's already happened or whether he's doing it even today, God so delights in you that he writes himself into your story. One of C.S. Lewis's cohorts, uh, another Oxford grad, actually one of the first women to graduate from Oxford, was a, uh, a woman by the name of Dorothy Sayers. And she wrote about a dozen uh, accounts of, of uh, murder whodunits. And her main sleuth was a man by the name of Peter Wimsey. Interesting name. Uh, but Peter Wimsey was very accomplished, but very flawed at the same time. But as Dorothy Sayer continued to write about Peter Wimsey in over a dozen novels, it was speculated that her heart began to really be drawn to him. And as flawed as he was, she desired deeply to be able to, in some way, open his eyes and redeem him from the empty way of life that he was leading. And so... Guess what happened in her novels? Suddenly, a woman appears as a, a client of Peter Wimsey, and this woman happens to, happens to be an Oxford grad who writes detective novels. <laughs> she wrote herself into the novel because she so dearly loved this character of Peter Wimsey that she couldn't bear to see him go down that path anymore. That's how God feels about you. And he wrote himself into your story. And he did it in such a way that you could finally actually appreciate him. Now, it's, a, it's not an easy thing to be able to see God. When Moses asks to see God, God says, you can't handle my truth. <laughs> that, if, that if I showed you in my unfiltered glory, you would die on the spot. And so God needs to appear in such a way with such a lovingly curated, crafted filter so that we can appreciate the depth of his perfection in a way that we can understand. His compassion, his love, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his insight, his perseverance. To be able to see God fully. And so, as God is written into your story, he is written in as Jesus. Not as Jesus as some fictional character, 
And here's the amazing thing. Till he appeared. He really did appear. This is not just some morality tale where you try to imitate this Jesus and do a little bit better. If that were the case, God wouldn't happen to take the great pains to make sure that Jesus occurred in history. But Jesus occurred in history. On December 25th of... No, he wasn't born on Christmas. But he was born. And he did enter into history. And he came into your life and to my life. And it is one of the best attested historical accounts of all time. That Jesus entered your story so that you could magnificently behold Him. And since He has, let me encourage you to do this. You grab the Gospels. Chew them up. Look at Jesus. Look at what God did to write Him into your story. See His strength. His love, His dearness. See His compassion for you. See the lengths that He would go. See the depth to which He was able to come in such glory, but yet humble Himself to such depths. He was born in poverty for you. And then He became a homeless refugee. And when He came back, He landed in some backwater town of no reputation. Working doing drywall for a whole bunch of years. Nothing against drywall, but this was the, the degree which Jesus was, was willing to be everything that you needed to know to be able to appreciate the transcendent perfection of God even through a veiled God of flesh. You know, the, the, uh, the, the Christmas song that we'll sing in just a moment was written by Charles Wesley. And in it he wrote, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Not veiled in flesh, the Godhead hidden. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Yes, Jesus is humbled to a man. But nonetheless, God wants you to see Him in Jesus. We see them in all their breathtaking real life forms. You can know the glories of God from the Old Testament. So overwhelming and daunting. But in Jesus, they actually come near. He becomes graspable. He becomes touchable. He becomes knowable. He becomes intimate. That is why God came as He did. And that's why He's in your story. Don't let this go by. And why did He come into your story? My final point is just this. And the soul felt its worth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared. And the soul felt its worth. I love the way that those lyrics go together. And I love the way that Paul writes about it exactly the same here in Colossians. Yes, we were alienated. But now God in all fullness dwells in Jesus. Why? Verse 22. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. And I want you to let these words pack a punch for you right now. This is why Christmas. This is what God wants for you. Why has He written into your story? This, no less, is God's intention and His will for your life. So that you may be holy in His sight 
without blemish, and free from accusation. That's a good place to live. You can't happy holidays your way there. And in order to really be able to appropriate to yourself all that Jesus has done, realize that He is giving you this peace, this holiness, this free from from any accusation status. He's doing it, it says here, by a bloody cross. Even at Christmas time, even at the birth, there's always the foreshadowing of the cross. The ultimate act of love. As He's written into your story, that story is heading somewhere. He is going to understand you to the depth of who you are. You're going to know Him. And as you, in that intimacy with Him, begin to appreciate Him, just at that moment, you'll then be blown away by what He decides to do for you in that story. Though He was rich, He became poor and gave all for you. Why? So that you can have riches beyond measure. So that you can have a holiness. He became tainted and defiled and polluted with every one of our lusts, our materialistic desires, our greed, our lies, our sexual immoralities. He was tainted with all of those. Why? So that you can sit here now unblemished, holy, and free from any accusation that Satan would want to bring your way. When we truly connect to Christ and realize the peace that He brings through a bloody cross that He brings to us, we should be falling on our knees in awe of this Jesus that has come our way. And yes, let's appreciate the Christmas cheer and the musics and the ugly sweaters and the Christmas Day games and the visiting of family. All of those things that come. But my goodness, let every one of those things remind you That Jesus was written into your story. God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in Him and be made known to you. Why? So that you no longer have the life of frustration and never know peace. But instead, have that peace made available to you. A lot of you all have, have come here with friends, with family. I bet that if you're really allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life right now, that you know that something... Something that Jesus is doing, even for you now as He writes Himself into your life, is telling you, you know, let me just ask somebody that, that, that I've got a relationship with here that I know has really deeply experienced the transformation that Jesus wants. Let me ask them, what's something that I might be able to do? Let me encourage you to do nothing less than that. And also now, we're going to pray. We're going to have a song. We'll we'll pray one more time and we're going to take communion together. Uh, After that communion, we'll we'll have another song and and share in our our blessings and contribution. And then then after that, we'll conclude with the song Silent Nights. And at that point, we will light the candles. We'll explain it to you probably five times over because there's a lot of people in a really confined space and it's a lot of open flame. Uh, But but when when that does happen... We won't light until just before the song. I ask you right after Silent Night to please blow out your candles. Uh, Public service announcement. Let's not lose sight of what's more important right now. Jesus decided to disrupt your life. 
That's what Christmas is all about. He's got an offer of peace, of holiness, of real righteousness that awaits us. Let's pray together and then we'll join together in song. God in heaven, as we're here together now, thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for writing yourself into our story, no matter how dark our story begins. And it really was a dark and stormy night for every one of us. Help us to realize that through that darkness, the light is all that much more distinct and all that much more sweet. Thank you for bringing that light into our life. Thank you that we celebrate that now. Help us as we now join in song together, realizing that God and sinners are reconciled. That this is the cause for the angels singing. This is the cause for the tears and the smiles that should uh, decorate our faces. Thank you, God, for all you've done in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me as we sing.